Today I'd like to touch on a subject that is very important for us because we are living, as we know, in the end times. And this subject has to do with the world in which we live. It also has to do with what we are to do now that Christ has called us out of this world. And God the Father and Jesus Christ are dealing with us as their sons and daughters. How are we to be walking in this world? Let's turn to one of God's servants, one of Jesus Christ's apostles, the Apostle John, and we'll turn to one of his epistles, the first epistle of John, chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 15. Do not love the world. Is he talking about planet Earth? Or is he talking about something else? He continues. Where, that is love, the things that are in the world. So he begins to narrow down a little to the things that are in the world. So we need to find out what those things are. And he continues in the next sentence. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So that's a very important statement, and it's a very important question for us to ask of ourselves. And that is, do I, do you love the world? Because as John says, if we do, in the understanding that John is giving us, then it says the love of the Father is not in him or her. Now, none of us want to be in that position. So let's continue in verse 16. And here it begins to narrow it down a little further, because everything, now everything means all things that are in the world. And then he describes it, what he's talking about. Very important. Three things. The lusts of the flesh, number one. Number two, the lusts of the eyes. And number three, the pretentious pride of the physical life. And he concludes that sentence as it's put into sentences for us today, that these three things, and particularly the physical, the pretentious pride of the physical life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So do we want to ensure that none of these facts, none of these items, none of these things that John has mentioned there, that we want to be a part of that? Continuing in the next verse, 17, and the world and its lusts. Now, we've just read about the lust, haven't we? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pretentious pride of life. We can also add that as a lust, because it's a lust to be recognized. It's a lust, which is not only called pride, but the synonym is vanity. And that's the one 
area of life. Number one, that Satan attacks all the saints of God. And today, is he really having a heyday with the rest of mankind when we look at the nations, when we look at the governments, when we look at all the organizations and structures of the world? Do they have the love of God? Or do we see the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pretentious pride of the physical life? Well, yes, we see those things. And what God wants us to do, he's calling us out of that particular world. So, let's think about that subject. God has called us out of this world, but are we fully out of the world? as a part of the family of God, the children of God. Let's have a look at the book of Revelation. And let's start first in Revelation 18, because we've found here an absolutely astounding statement, beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 18. So what we read, and these things I saw, John, who is recording this, as we'll see shortly, I saw an angel. Well, I don't think any of us are aware that we may have seen an angel. We may have. In a time of distress, a time of trouble, there may have been an angel there helping us. And I think many of us have suspected times when there has been an angel presence because we can't explain what happened to us in any other way. And we have guardian angels, and Jesus Christ has is his angel, as we will see shortly. And after these things, I saw an angel descending from heaven. So this is in vision, having great authority. And that's something that God has promised to those who are going to be a part of his burn again family because right now we're in a stage of gestation in the womb of our mother in that sense the church which is the body of christ we will not be born again until the return of christ it's that stage when either we are changed from this physical life or we're resurrected from the grave once we hear the voice of Christ, that's when the rebirth, the spiritual rebirth, happens. And Jesus explained that quite clearly to Nicodemus, but Nicodemus couldn't understand what Jesus said, you must be born again. He couldn't understand it because he couldn't imagine a grown human being entering in again into his mother's when they were born a second time. But that's not the world that the church is in. The church is in, and the brethren, the Christian saints, today are in the womb of the church, waiting to be born. And all those who have gone before us, clear back to Abel, who was a righteous man before God, and did those things which was pleasing in God's sight, like many others that followed them. I said many others. But when we look at that by the comparison of the number of human beings that have ever existed on the earth, it's a very small number. And today we want to 
how many people, when we see what's taking place, how many people understand who God is? How many people know God? How many people really know Jesus the Christ? How many people know about the command to keep the Passover, the Sabbath, the holy days, all the holy days, which explain God's plan? As is recorded in the publication we have, God's plan for mankind, as it is described in the Sabbath and the holy days, the very important volume that we really need to be well versed with. And if you're new, then it's a great place to begin with, to understand what God is doing and what part you can have in the plan of God, which had been hidden from mankind and continues to be hidden unless God the Father calls you. And once he's called you, then there's a responsibility on your shoulders. And that responsibility is that you must respond to the Father before he can continue with his plan for your life. And his plan for your life is far greater than anything you could want, wonder about, think about, meditate on in your own human mind. It's just not possible. That is revealed. And God has revealed it through his Sabbath and the holy days. And again, what is the key day that makes it possible for all of us to have? Well, it's the Christian Passover, which is kept between the two evenings as the 13th of the first month comes to an end. And the 14th begins. That's when the Passover lamb was killed in Egypt. And the same day is required today. If you want to keep the Passover of God and Jesus Christ, who was the supreme sacrifice. There are still people looking around that have no idea about the Passover and its significance. They think back to Egypt. Well, here's all these Israelites coming out of Egypt. If they don't understand the Passover, the Christian Passover, and we do need to know and read and understand that book, the Christian Passover. I heard recently of a group that had been discussing this problem of when the Passover was, and they had three particular options, but they didn't know which. If they could only just put their hands on the Christian Passover, which is free, just request. Right in for it if you don't have it. It's vital. The beginning of God's plan. And the whole Bible really is focused on that one event and what took place with Christ and Him crucified. That is so important. It's the beginning point. It's the beginning point of your salvation, of my salvation, and the salvation of mankind because without that event without the crucifixion of jesus christ there is no forgiveness of sins full stop period end of life no purpose in living and all what science has to say trying to figure out you know what's the meaning of life where are we going why are we here 
and some who are wanting to set up civilizations on the moon, planet Mars. Well, good luck with that. Not going to happen. If that was so, God would have told us. There is no life on other planets. So far as we're told. If there were, I think that God would have something to say about it. Or he's keeping that a secret. But I think very much doubt it because God's plan to create a family is being conducted on this little planet right out there at the edge of the cosmos as we understand it. A very humble planet. Why is it a small, humble planet? Why is it there are suns that are far greater than our particular sun? Why is it that there are other planets and objects out there far greater than our planet Earth? And yet it's very humble. That is why God has chosen planet Earth. The angels rejoiced in the day. Let's get back to Revelation, the 18th chapter. So John saw this angel in vision descending from heaven, having great authority. And notice the next statement. This is absolutely incredible. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. Can you picture that? Angel descending from heaven, from the very area where God's throne is, where Jesus Christ and the Father dwell together, and the countless other legions of angels. And as he comes down, he is so powerful, he is so, he's got so much authority, great authority, that his body is so glorious, shining through the glory of God, shining through him, that the whole earth was illuminated with his glory. Now, do you think, if that angel has something to say, we should listen to the message, because this is recorded for us. This is recorded for the church and for all the churches that have existed down from the first century, from the day of Pentecost in 30 AD. Now, bring the question, it says when he came down, all the way the whole earth, now the sun only illuminates a certain portion of the earth as it, and the earth circles around the sun. I was going to say the other way, but that's not so. But here we're told, we're not told, it illuminates the whole earth. I kind of suspect, we don't know, but I kind of suspect that the glory of this angel is so great and the message is so powerful that it may well occur at the one time. That's just, in one sense, the way that I understand it at this point in time. We give more understanding, we'll understand it. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, and here's the message, Babylon, the greatest form, that great religious system, which is a copy of the system that was back in the days of ancient Babylon. We were totally against God, and God just scattered them with all their languages and all their religions, and we asked the question, well, why do all these religions seem to have a coral core? Such as Christmas. You know, Christmas is not just 2,000 years old. Christmas was being observed 4,000 years ago. 
And Satan knows I had a caliphate, not only for the Holy Spirit, like today where it's called a person, ancient Babylon had that. And not only that, it was not only the, that tradition, but there was the worship of the sun, was the whole basis of their religion. And that sun, today, as then, represented Satan. Now, can you think of any church that uses that symbolism that is a part of a religious system that Jesus Christ is coming back to destroy? And that's an important point, as we will see in a moment. The angel cries out, Babylon the Great, that is present-day Babylon, Hislops to Babylon, there was the ancient Babylon, and we have that Babylonish system on earth today, which is affecting all nations and more and more as the days pass. We can see that. We can sense that. We listen to what is being broadcast. It becomes very clear for those who have the eyes to see and take a warning. So Babylon the Great has fallen, is fallen twice. It's sure to happen. And God says, it, well, you better believe it. And he said it twice. Then you better double it down and believe that. Because that is exactly what's going to happen. There is nothing that is going to cause that church to survive the wrath of God. Because it is a polluted religious system which affects all the governmental and every institution we have on the face of the earth that is corrupt. It's polluted, it's perverted, and it is totally evil. That's why we read in John, 1 John 2, don't love the world, because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, and you don't know the Father. Well, it comes right down to it. And Babylon has become a habitation of demons. A religious system that has its tentacles like an octopus around the world sucking the life blood in that sense out of all the religious systems and pouring its poison in its false doctrines and its false teachings such as we mentioned christmas easter which is a caliphate satan's caliphate for passover and all its holy days are not the holy days of God. And we mentioned the book that explains that. And a present for every unclean spirit. Again, it's describing a religious and political system which is controlled by Satan the devil. All the religions today both Catholic, Protestant, we have Islam, Buddhism, you name them. They all can trace their, you can trace all their origins back to original Babylon because they are teaching the same teachings that were being taught and being explained and being understood at that time. And nothing has changed. The names have changed. That may make it a little difficult for you to find out in the background, but there's so many books around that go into the details, you know, archaeologically, 
many other ones that will, you can get the basis on that. And some of you, I'm sure, are quite familiar with those. But let's continue. So you see, now we've had the angel's voice, but in verse 4, we, we're showing something else. And I heard another voice from heaven. Oh, another voice from heaven. So the angel had said, what? Babylon the great is fallen, is fall, and so on. Now we have a second voice. Who could this be? Could this be Jesus Christ? Who is making these words or these statements that have been given to him from God the Father? And we'll see a little bit about that shortly. And this voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Well, how are God's people? Well, you can go back to Exodus, and you can see that God called the people of Israel, the nation of Israel that developed and grew to a multitude of Egypt. He calls them my people. So there's one possibility. Now, in the New Testament, after the life, death, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find something else. God, the Father, and Jesus Christ call us his children, his family, his people. But surely God called you out of Babylon, out of this world, didn't he? And you have come out of Babylon. But have we come out of Babylon completely? And this coming out of Babylon, let's read that again. I have another voice from heaven saying, Come out of here, my people. Why? So that you do not take part of her sins, and that you do not receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached as far as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And God is going to severely punish. In fact, he's got to wipe that whole system out through Jesus Christ, coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and our Lord and Master. So let's go back to ask that question to Revelation chapter, we'll see chapter 1, and just pick up something at the very beginning. Now the book of Revelation comes from where? Well, John, the apostle, wrote it, but it, is it is John's thinking, or is there another source? We know the answer. Most of us know the answer to this, but let's just read it. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which is the title of the book, chapter 1, verse 1. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, but where did Jesus Christ get it from? Which God? God the Father gave him. Why? To show to his servants. In other words, my people. God the Father and Jesus Christ, we are the people of God. To show to his servants. So this is to the servants. This is a message directed to the church. The things that are ordained to come to pass shortly. And he made it known, having sent it by his angel, that's Jesus, sent this message by his angel to his servant John. Then it goes on to say that John was that faithful witness who brought the message to us as God gave it to him, and he wrote it down, word for word. 
was God able to cause John to remember every word, to write it down so what was recorded is exactly what God was? Absolutely so. Let's just have a look at something else. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Are all churches here? Is it possible that all these churches which represent God's church in the first century, it also represents elements of the church down through history and today it certainly represented we can look around we can see various churches of god and we can see the different elements within them there are good elements and there are bad elements there's good teaching and there's even still bad teaching which some have yet to learn the question is when we are faced up with that truth if they will accept it then they will continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If they do not accept, and if we don't accept the truth as God reveals it to us, we're facing a stumbling block. We can't grow, we can't progress. But we have to make sure that we prove all things and then bolt after that which is good. But there are some who are holding to different things, not the teachings of the Scripture. And I've heard recently where there are men who go around within the churches of God, where there are little groups, and they'll bring their own teachings. Like, you know, when is the Passover? We don't really know, but here are the options. Let's make up our minds which one we're going to keep. All they need to do is write in or request the Christian Passover, and they will have every question answered right down to the last detail. Failure to do that is a loss. And they'll never come to an understanding of what the true Passover and when that true Passover of God is. It's very sad. But you see, pride. And, you know, we said, the love of this world, the love of prestige. Yeah, men like to go around and make a name for themselves. And the Bible and the scriptures, the Apostles warn us, particularly Peter and Jude and Paul, they warn us of this and John over and over again. We've got to be listening. We've got to be aware. We've got to be on guard. We've got to guard the door of our minds, particularly when it comes down to the truth of God and the doctrines that are in the Bible, that if we study the Bible verse by verse, doctrine by doctrine, scripture by scripture, God will reveal that to us. We ask him to reveal it. He says, ask whatever you will. One of the things we can ask, Father, please help me to understand your doctrine. Please guard me by your spirit as I read this. And help me to select the right helps so I can come to the understanding. And you see, all this is what? This is loving the truth of God, loving the word of God, and not loving the world. We'll bring another subject on what does it mean to walk in the Christian life, to walk in the faith of God. How do we do that? Well, we know. But, you know, as both Peter and Paul says, I know that you know these things, but the reason I'm repeating them is because that's good for you. And we need that repetition. 
because the Bible has so much knowledge, so much information, we need to have it being presented to us in every different way, every different facet, so we get all the nuances and understand that. We understand the depth of the teachings of God the Father and Jesus Christ. We know what Matthew 6 and verse 33 says. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't love the world, but love the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's turn to another scripture. And this scripture is Colossians the three, Colossians the third chapter. And this is a great chapter. It's a great, it's a great book. And then this is such powerful teachings of the truth of God, the word of God, empowered through Paul from Jesus Christ, who received it from God the Father. You know, that's the pattern of scriptures, what we read there back in, in John, sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. All teaching we have comes from God the Father, through to Jesus Christ, through to his servants, the apostles and prophets, and it's all there for us in black and white. But more than that, as Jesus said, the words written on these pages, what do you say about them? They are spirits and they are life. Okay, Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised together with Christ, you've come out of this world. God has called you. You've repented. You've been baptized. You've had hands laid on. You've received God's Spirit and you're committed to walk in the way of Jesus Christ. You've committed to come out of this world. You've committed yourself not to love this world or anything that is in the world. And the Word of God and the Holy Spirit guides us through the labyrinth of lies, of cheating, of perversions. And simply, one of the major sins that keeps coming up time and time again for us to come out of happens to be in the areas of sexuality, adultery, fornication, everything that is not according to the word of God. And God wants to draw us out of that. God is drawing us out of that. But we must want to come out. Question. When we examine ourselves, do we still find that there are strongholds, as Paul said, do we still find there are things that we cannot give up in this world? We're still clinging on to we just don't want to give up on them. If we do a really deep and sincere searching of our own hearts and our own minds in the Word of God and was on our knees before God, God will show us, God will help us. But it's time, if we still have those, and we all certainly do, according to Scripture, it's time to throw off those shackles. The world is beginning to come in and crumble around us. And as is said, even on 
conservative television, you know, that coming after those who do not agree with the liberal philosophies of this world, the lies, the cheating, is just phenomenal. And they're not even trying to hide it today. It's just blatant. Therefore, if you have been raised together with Christ, that's talking about his calling, your repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit and beginning that truth, that walk in the Spirit towards the kingdom of God. And as I mentioned, we'll cover what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? How do we do that? We'll look at that next time, perhaps. Seek. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your affections on the things that are above, not on the world, or anything that is in the world that goes against the laws and commandments of God. In that little box, sometimes the large screens that we have, it is just amazing what comes across, which is of the world. And it is not of God. It is not of the mind of God. Are we willing to throw off those aspects of our personal lives that we're still clinging on to? You know, some of those things can only be done through prayer and fasting to get rid of them, to cut them out of our lives. Set your affections, verse 2, on the things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died. Yes, we consider ourselves dead to this world. So when we see the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, us, our pride, when those things come to us, we see them for what they are and we reject them. And that's what God will help us to do. We are to be dead to those. In fact, we made that promise to God the Father and Jesus Christ in baptism, didn't we? When we're under the burial, uh, buried under that water, that we were dead to the pools and the strings of this world in this life. So, brethren, we'll just end with that comment. We have that message, a second voice from heaven above that says to us, come out of her. My people, we are today God's people. Let us make sure that we are coming out of Babylon the Great.